0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org.
1: Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles on page 84. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing, we may also obey your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Luke 23, verse 32. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: So again, the Lord is with you. I know that we recognize today as the Sunday before Thanksgiving and appropriately so we opened with some beautiful songs that remind us of Thanksgiving but today is also Christ the King Sunday and today marks the last Sunday of the liturgical year or the church year that traces the life of Jesus. His birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And so on today, this Sunday, we want to remind ourselves that Christ, the Christ of the cross, is also king and ruler over all creation. And I know that's very paradoxical to say it. It was very confusing to the people of Jesus' day. How can you be king and you're on a cross? Next Sunday, the church here starts all over again, with Advent, and with the coming of our Lord. And we'll be ready to celebrate that. Now for the past three Sundays, we have deliberately focused our attention on the teaching part in worship, having to do with four basic truths for followers of Jesus. And I just want to remind you of the ground that we've covered. November three, we talked about who is Jesus. And then on the 10th, Pastor Henry talked about the love of God. And there was this wonderful verse that was quoted from 1 John chapter 4 where it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's a beautiful verse. And then last Sunday, we again reminded ourselves of another basic truth, that if we're going to follow Jesus, this is like a non-negotiable. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I am yours. I am yours. And then today, what I'd like to do then is to consider this very, very basic truth. And it's it's a paradox that the king of all kings, this king seated above all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, king over the world, king of the universe, was also the very same one who hung on that cross for you and for me. Isaac Watts, in 1707, wrote this very timeless hymn that I love to sing any time of the year when I survey the wondrous cross. And that's what I'd like for you to do with me this morning. I think Luke is asking us to do that, is to survey the wondrous cross. And when we survey the cross, what do we see? And let me share a few things with you that we see from the text when we survey the cross. I think first of all, and very sadly, we see the spiritual blindness of the people. They had eyes to see. But what did they see? I think when they looked at Jesus, some people saw a pretender, When they looked at Jesus, some people saw just another common criminal, and that's why he's being crucified among two other criminals. And Luke identified the reactions. He said the crowd, when they looked, maybe they were there because of the blood sport, the entertainment of seeing criminals gasping for their last breath. The religious leaders, Luke tells us, when we, if we were there, Luke tells us that the religious leaders scoffed. And maybe they were finally saying, finally, we are eradicating this disturber of Israel. You look at the soldiers, and the soldiers were also mocking. But for them, it was just another day at the office. And they were just throwing their dice, as they would customarily do, to see who gets the prisoners' leftovers, their meager belongings. And then, of course, Luke caused us to see and to hear the words of one of the criminals hanging on the cross. And he chose in that moment to deride Jesus. He didn't care. His life was going to end pretty soon. But what's amazing about spiritual blindness is when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says that none of the rulers of this age, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They were blind. And if they had the wisdom of God, and if they understood the timing of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When I survey the wondrous cross, what else do we see? Well, we see in verse 34 the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus. You see, because of their spiritual blindness, they didn't know that they were what they were doing. And so we see this amazing act of Jesus on the cross. He prayed that God the Father would forgive them. But notice when he prayed. Notice when he prayed. He prayed after they had crucified him. That's an amazing thing. He prayed for the criminals on either side of him. He prayed for the crowds. He prayed for the soldiers. I believe when Jesus prayed that prayer, he was praying for Pilate. He was praying for Judas. He was praying for Caiaphas. He prayed that all who stood against him and mocked him would be forgiven. And we forget, but in Matthew's account, chapter 26, Matthew said of Jesus, Do you not think? Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen this way? Jesus had options. He could have called on legions of he- from heaven to destroy his, his enemies, but he humbled himself. He showed mercy, he showed compassion toward his enemies. When I read of Jesus's forgiveness on the cross, I realize there is still so much growth in my own life, in forgiving people for lesser offenses. When I survey the wondrous cross, I also see a picture of repentance and forgiveness. One of the criminals on the cross, as we just heard in the reading, they railed against him and said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. But we know this wasn't a genuine cry. This was not a genuine statement. It was mockery. But then the other criminal on the cross, as we heard in the reading, showed contrition and showed repentance. And he said to his friend, don't you fear God. You see that in verses 40 through 44. Don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Right there on the cross, we see this act of repentance. Judas, Caiaphas, Pilate, the soldiers, the crowds, none of them saw what this repentant criminal on the cross saw. He understood that an innocent man was unjustly condemned to die. But then we also see faith when we survey this wondrous cross, because this repentant criminal cried out in verse 42 Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even though Jesus was on his cross, this repentant criminal believed that he was the king. He believed in Jesus as Savior. This scene of a dying man begging for mercy, I think, and I hope you agree with me, is the perfect picture of the good news of the gospel. Because this man couldn't save himself. He could not earn favor with God through good works. There was no more time, no more room for him to do any good works. There was no way his reputation could save him. His position couldn't save him. Notice he didn't say, Jesus, remember my good works. He didn't say, Jesus, remember my perfect attendance at the synagogue when I was a little boy. This man was condemned to die with no hope. And this is the good news of the gospel, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He had nothing to offer to Christ, and yet he gained everything from Christ. When we survey the wondrous cross, we also see God's assurance of mercy. When confession and repentance are sincere, Jesus assures us, that our sins are forgiven. Jesus promised this dying man, today, you will be with me in paradise. The assurance of forgiveness. As you stand at the foot of the cross, as you survey this wondrous cross, where are you? You may not agree with me, But please hear me when I say this, that if we were there in their place, I want to believe that we would have done what they did. In fact, we have done it. For whenever we turn away from Christ, and and some of us here today, you have heard the call of Christ, you have heard the voice of Christ, you have heard the longing of Christ to come and follow me, and you have turned away. When we hear the voice of Jesus and we turn away, we are, as the writer of Hebrews says, we are are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. The hymn writer asks this question, were you there when they crucified our Lord? And we must answer, yes, we were there, not only as spectators, but as guilty participants because you see, before we can see the cross as something that God did for us, we must see the cross as something done by us. And Bernard of Clairvaux said it best in one of his wonderful hymns. He says, What thou, my Lord, hast suffered. Was all for sinners' gain. And then he says these words Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, vouchsafe or grant to me thy grace. Putting yourself at the scene of the crime. I know it's hard for 21st century ears. If you are among those, and there are many today in the church and outside of the church who struggle with this teaching of scripture about the cross because it is natural to assume that here the Bible is just giving us one more example of those ancient, primitive, bloodthirsty gods who must be worshipped by those ancient, primitive, bloodthirsty societies who offer up blood to appease some mythical god. And some would say, well, if if God were really a loving God, why doesn't God just say, I forgive everybody? Why did Jesus have to go through all this drama and this agony of the cross, suffering even unto death? I want to give you a partial answer. Jesus didn't have to die because, despite God's love, Jesus had to die because of God's love. Because, you see, every life-changing love, all life-changing love, and I want you to hear this. Is substitutionary sacrifice. Think about it this way. If you love a person whose life is all put together and has no major needs, those are the best friends to have because it costs us nothing. These people are wonderful. They're perfect. They're just wonderful to be around. And all of us have a few friends like that. But if you ever ever find someone who has needs, Someone who is in trouble. Somebody who is emotionally wounded. Somebody who walks around with a chip on their shoulder and they are your friend. I guarantee you, if you're going to love them, it's going to cost you. You can't love these people without taking a hit. You can't love these people without giving up something. A transfer of some kind is required so that somehow their troubles and their problems are transferred into your lap. And I know that the silence means amen. Or think about it another way, think about parenting. And even if you don't have children, think about parenting because this is what our parents most likely went through for us or what we with children are most likely going through for our kids because when you were born, you were in a state of dependency. You had so many needs. You couldn't stand on your own. The only way you survived and grew to the point of where you are with health and strength is because your parents humbled themselves. They abandoned their own independence for, it used to be for 20 years. What is it now? When you were young, your parents read to you and they fed you. And they clothed you, and they gave you the keys, and they gave you money. And your parents sacrificed their time, and their energy, and their sleep, and their money. And they did it because of their love for you. And I'm saying it to you again, that if you're going to understand the cross, you need to understand that all real, life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice, and I believe that it makes sense that a God who is more loving than any parent could ever be, and I'm so thankful for that. Amen? Amen. A God who is more loving than you and I, a God who comes into the world to deal with the ultimate evil, the ultimate sin, would then have to make a substitutionary sacrifice. Even we flawed human beings know that you can't just overlook evil. Even the kids know it, that when somebody does wrong, It hits you. You don't just overlook evil. It can't just be removed. It can't just be healed just by saying, oh, forget it. It must be paid for. It must be dealt with. And it's going to be costly. The debt had to be paid. And Jesus, being the greatest example of God's love, was willing to die for us. That's where the God of the Bible is so radically different from the primitive gods of old. Yes, people of old understood, or whether out of fear, they understood the idea of the wrath of some divine being. They understood the idea of justice. They understood the idea of a debt and a necessary punishment, but they had no idea. They had no idea that this God would put on human flesh and would come and would pay it himself, would offer up himself the cross. The cross is the self-substitution of God. And so on a human level, if you were standing there, a visitor to the city of Jerusalem, maybe you would have heard possibly that he's on the cross because Judas betrayed him and gave him up to the priests. He's on the cross because the priests gave him up to Pilate. He's on the cross because the Pilate gave him over to the soldiers. He's on the cross because the soldiers nailed him there. And you would be right on a human level. But on a divine level, we must also say that God the Father gave up his son And in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus freely gave himself up to die for us. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so this morning as we face the king and his cross, we must also say to ourselves, I did it. My sins sent him there. And he did it. Because his love took him there. But then let me close with this reminder that the king and his cross then gives marching orders to all of us. He does. You see, the cross is not just where we sit and survey it and say how horrible and how wonderful that my sins are paid for. How wonderful it is that never to be remembered anymore. How wonderful it is that Satan and all his minions were defeated. But we must also remember that the king and his cross gives shape to Christianity. Christianity is a cruciform religion. After Jesus explained to his disciples in Luke that he must suffer and be crucified, he then says to them, if anyone would come after me, Here it is. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I read this week that supposedly after a rousing performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the famous Italian conductor Arturo Toscanini supposedly said to the orchestra, I am nothing, you are nothing, Beethoven is everything. And if Toscanini could say about a br- such a beautiful thing about a brilliant dead composer, how much more should Christians say that about the living Savior and King who, with respect to our salvation, is the composer, the musician, and even the beautiful music himself. After surveying the wondrous cross, Isaac Watts reached this conclusion. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul and my life and my all those are our marching orders we give ourselves to him and we take up his cross and we follow him we're like the repentant criminal I pray that we will be like the repentant criminal on the cross who prayed I invite you to pray this criminals prayer Lord I'm guilty you are innocent jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom i wonder if anyone would pray that prayer today jesus i'm guilty you're innocent remember me when you come into your kingdom jesus is the same yesterday jesus is the same today jesus is the same forever He's the king of glory. And the answer to every repentant sinner, then, today, and forever will be today. You will be with me in paradise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say.